From all of us here at Crime Connect, our hearts go out to all of our Kiwi listeners, our members, our followers. We are standing with you in this horrible time of tragedy after this horrific terrorist attack. We have been there too, and we just want you to know you're not alone. To everybody, this hatred has to stop. We cannot live like this. I know none of us want to raise our children in this world where this type of stuff happens. We need to join forces and put an end to this hatred. We love you guys. Thank you. Hey there, welcome to Weekend Breakdown with Crime Connect. This is Crystal, and today, unfortunately, I am alone again. My other hosts are not here, though hopefully later we will have Nikki join us to discuss our latest case, which is crazy right now. We have a wanted fugitive. He is wanted for murdering his wife, and we have all the latest scoop on that. Right now, let's go over a little housekeeping. You might have noticed we didn't do an episode last week. Instead, we did a drunk casting episode. From now on until I get settled, we're going to be doing the weekend breakdowns every other week. Um, I am moving soon, so I'm going to have to start packing. Then I'm going to have to unpack, and it's going to be a little hectic for me. But hopefully that means we will have a better setup to do this podcast because right now sitting on the floor with the wire all the way behind me to the computer is not really fun for me. (laughs) Um, Also, Facebook went down this week. And if you were like me, you were freaking out because what are we going to do without Facebook? I ended up downloading two books to read on my Kindle and I haven't started them, but I do plan on reading them. If that happens again, and you just have to get the latest news, or there's breaking news in a case, and you know, oh my god, Crime Connect, I can't get an update. We have a Twitter account. It is the handle is at Connect Crime. I don't use it too often, but I do have it open every day to get alerts. Um, if there's breaking news or we start a new case, I will post that. And like when Facebook went down, I was posting a little more to keep people updated. It's not as big as our Facebook page or our groups, but it is there. It's an available resource. If you use Twitter, follow us. Um, also, like I said, I hope Nikki will join us later. For now, we're going to kind of go over what went on in the last two weeks since you last heard us. Number one, March 6th, R. Kelly was arrested again, this time for not paying his child support. Now, he owes over $200,000. We don't know the specifics because the judge has a gag order on this, but he did get arrested. He had the opportunity to pay Um, I think it was a minimum of $161,000. He didn't meet that deadline. They were in court. They again gave him the opportunity. Look, dude, you're here in court. Let's pay it so you don't have to go to jail. And he failed to do so again. They cuffed him right then and there, took him to jail. And he did get out, I believe it was the next day. And according to reports, 
the $161,000 was paid by friends and family. Um, look, that is the least of R. Kelly's problems right now. He is still facing several charges relating to this child abuse case of his. Um, we have a hearing coming up March 22nd on that, and we have great news to report as of today. The judge decided to allow cameras in the courtroom. Now, Chicago doesn't usually allow cameras. All his previous hearings have not been in front of cameras, but from March 22nd and going on to wherever this leads to a trial, we will have cameras in there. So we do have a group for this. This is something that is sort of like really close to my heart. I cannot stand predators and I cannot stand people who get away with being predators. So we do have a group. Um, it is Justice for R. Kelly's Victims by Crime Connect. You could either just search R. Kelly in the group section of Facebook. All of our groups will always be labeled by Crime Connect. So look for that. Also, you can go to our Facebook page at Crime Connect Magazine, um, and all of our groups are listed there. If you're in our vault, all of our groups are linked there as well. So we have a lot of options for that. We had a pretty interesting case out of Indianapolis that started March 5th. This is the Rachel McAfee case. If I'm just going to put this out. This is going to be a trigger if you suffer from depression or anxiety or addiction or, most importantly, postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, or postpartum psychosis. You may want to sit this episode out. Rachel was reported missing March 6th is when we heard about it. We started a group right away. She was reported missing with her baby. She left home at 7 a.m. on March 5th. She was supposed to drive to her mother-in-law's house, drop the baby off, and then head to the school she worked at to attend some sort of meeting. That's kind of all we were told at the time. And she disappeared. She, we found out, was suffering from postpartum depression and had a history of alcoholism and it started to get out of control recently, which kind of leads us to believe that she was self-medicating because of the postpartum depression. Now she had this problem before she had her baby. It sounds like it went away and then it really got bad after she had the baby. This is not uncommon with people who suffer any type of mental illness to cope with self-medicating through drugs or alcohol or any other kind of addictions. Um, her husband gave an interview on March 5th. Let's see. He gave the interview. He, look, my dates might be off here. I apologize. I wrote some notes and sometimes I forget what I wrote. Um, her husband did do an interview the day after she was reported missing. It's very cold. He almost seems annoyed that he has to deal with this. He's concerned for his child. He says his baby, Emma, cannot take care of herself, but 
Rachel can. Um, I believe the exact quote was, my wife can. And then right after that, he says that she's not the most fit mentally right now. That was kind of our first indication that something was really off in this case. If Rachel was suffering from postpartum depression and alcoholism, it didn't seem like she had a lot of support from her husband. And that could be shock. That could be just kind of over it. There could be many reasons that came off that way. But I know it rubbed a lot of people wrong. We found out shortly after that that prior to going missing, the police had been called to Rachel's house to see about her well-being. We don't really know the circumstances or what happened after that, but it was due to her mental state. We also found out that on February 22nd, she missed a doctor's appointment for her baby. And this was because she actually did drink herself to the point where she passed out while she had the baby with her. And that led to missing this appointment. So there were a lot of signs that Rachel really should not have been the the person in charge of taking care of this baby alone at any time especially driving her baby somewhere. Later that day, we find out that Rachel's car is found. It is found very close to her mother-in-law's house. I believe it was like half a mile away. She was found alive in critical condition. She was treated for cold-related injuries such as frostbite. She appeared intoxicated. There was a bottle of alcohol in the car, and she seemed to have no memory or no concept of time. Baby Emma was unfortunately found deceased on the floorboard of the front passenger seat, and they believe she died from the cold. It was extremely cold at this time. It was overnight probably as low as 9 degrees. The person who called in her car was a woman who lived on the street that Rachel parked at. And she had seen Rachel in the morning holding her baby. And she had stopped to ask her if everything was okay. And Rachel said yes. When she saw the car still there in the afternoon, she called it in. And if she hadn't, there may have been two deaths. And I don't don't know what that woman is dealing with now because I know there's got to be some sort of questioning now that she knows the situation if she should have called in the morning stuff like that and she did what she could do with the knowledge that she had there's definitely no blame to go there Rachel has been charged with neglect of a dependent causing a death she spent some time in the hospital and she actually has been released on bond. We assume she's been released on bond if she's been released from the hospital. I'm just going by what the court records say. She is being allowed to be released. She doesn't have to go to jail right now. She will have an ankle monitor, and she will also have a pretrial alcohol monitoring, which is, I believe, like an ankle monitor. Um, I'm not sure how those works, but I've kind of seen them here and there. Um, She's also requested to go to an in-treatment mental health facility. I hope at this point in time that's where she's at. 
I can't imagine the the guilt and the suffering she's going to have to deal with. She's lost a baby, and a lot of it is due to her actions. Now, we have discussed in our group about this case, and I know I'm not the only one who feels this way. This opinion has a lot of support. When somebody is suffering from postpartum depression and an addiction or anything and a combination of mental illnesses. And then on top of that, they have a baby to take care of. At what point does the other parent step in and say, you're not well enough to do this. This is also my child and I have a responsibility to keep this child safe. And so for right now, we're going to come up with a new plan. This is what needs to be done. And I say this because Rachel's been charged with the neglect of a dependent causing a death. Her husband has not been charged with anything. And I don't think legally he can be. And I'm not saying he should be. I'm just saying if we're going to have a conversation about postpartum depression and taking it seriously. We also have to take it seriously when there is another adult in the house who knows what's going on. Rachel had serious signs. She had even the meeting at the school she was supposed to be attending was an intervention. And we're not sure what sort of intervention, why it was at the school. Did her family know about this? Or did somebody at the school know she had no support and they wanted to get her help when she couldn't get it at home? I definitely would love to hear more from people who knew Rachel, her friends, her coworkers, because we definitely have a lot of questions about who was responsible for this baby. When you had postpartum depression to the extent that she did and you have an addiction to the extent that she did you cannot make a sane safe choice but the other parent who does not suffer from these ailments absolutely can and they have just as much custody of this child as the mother so this is kind of the discussion we're having in our group I know a lot of people feel the same way I think it's just really frustrating to know that this could have been prevented with some mental health care and some people in place to take that mental health care seriously and say, hey, you're suffering right now. Don't take on the burden of taking care of this child. Let me help you take care of this child. That's all it takes. And that's all it would have taken. And little Emma would still be here. And I think it's really just sad and frustrating to think about that. We've also had some movement in the Molly Tibbetts trial. The trial hasn't happened yet. It won't happen for months and months. But on, I believe it was this past week, the defense has filed a motion. Actually, they filed two motions, and one motion is a change of venue, and the other motion is a motion to suppress, and we will get to that in just a second. The motion to change venue, um, that's going to be heard on March 27th. It's going to be a half-day hearing, and honestly, I would not be surprised if they Granted it, I 
I see that happening without a doubt almost. If it doesn't happen, I would think there may be some bias on the on the judge's part, but this is very common in in big cases and in cases that have gotten a lot of attention. And Molly's case certainly has gotten a ton of attention. I, like I said, I won't be surprised. I believe in the filing, it's not just about the defendant. In the filing, the lawyer actually says that they've spoken to witnesses who are very hesitant to testify if it stays in Powersheet County because they are Latino and they feel like there's too much heat there and they're scared. And also, they don't believe that they can get a fair jury. And our Constitution does grant anybody in this country, whether they are a citizen or not, a right to a speedy trial and a right to a fair trial by a jury of your peers. And by peers, it doesn't mean that they have to be all Latino or all male. It just has to be a fair jury. So we're going to look forward to that on March 27th. But the bigger hearing is going to be a full day hearing in June. That's going to be June 25th. And this is a motion to suppress the confession. And this is huge. Now, the defense is claiming that the defendant was not properly Mirandized, that he was exhausted, hungry, he had a language barrier issue, and all of this led to a false confession. And they have transcripts that seem to back this up, depending on how you look at it. Now, a lot of people are saying, well, he wasn't officially under arrest, so they didn't have to Mirandize him. And I know our moderators and our admins and, and myself have really looked at different cases and how this might all play out, and it can go either way. I would be, uh, I would be shocked if they threw it out. But at the same time, I wouldn't based on just what I've seen. Now, it's all going to depend on the judge. It's all going to depend on the case the defendant brings forth because there have been cases where a person who was not officially under arrest but just believed they were under arrest was not Mirandized, and their confession and their charges were dropped because of that. Now, whether the cases I found where that has happened is included in the precedent in this case in Iowa? I don't know. I am not a lawyer. I don't live in Iowa, so I don't know how that's going to play out. But it's definitely going to be one to watch, and we will obviously remind you all when that's happening in June. It's going to be, it's going to be crazy, and it's really the biggest. Both of these are the biggest hearings we've had since the arrest. Um, so until the trial, these are going to be huge, huge hearings. Hey, everyone, we're back. I was really hoping to have Nikki with us today, but she's not feeling well and her voice isn't really working with her. So you're still stuck with me. Sorry. Um, right now, we're going to talk a little bit about our latest case, the disappearance of Diana Keel. 
Diana is a mother of two. She has a daughter in college, and she has a young 10-year-old son. She's an ER nurse, and by all accounts from her friends and family, she is just a joyous person. The morning of March 8th was the last time Diana is known to be seen. She supposedly was going to run errands, but her car never left her house. It's still at her house, and her husband doesn't seem to know where she is. I don't even think he's the one who reported her missing. I believe her family did, or either her family or her coworkers. She missed work Friday night, and as an ER nurse, you know that just doesn't happen. You don't just miss work without calling, without telling somebody. I mean, you're a vital part of that hospital. She just vanished into thin air. Now, if you follow Crime Connect, this isn't our first case where a wife or a girlfriend vanishes, and the last person to see them is the spouse, and we kind of all know where that's going. Her husband is Rexford Lynn Keel. Now, after Diana went missing and this hit social media, there were quite a few posts by friends and family of Lynn's first wife. She passed away in 2006 at the same house. This death was ruled an accident. She supposedly fell down some stairs. There's some talk about a frozen turkey being involved. Her friends and family have all posted since Diana's disappearance that they've always believed Lynn got away with murder in the 2006 death of his first wife. Obviously, that piqued our interest. This, how does this always happen? It's amazing to me that we have so many cases where a woman will go missing and it turns out her spouse also had a suspicious death of his previous wife and it was kind of just ruled an accident until the death of his second wife. It's not a new scenario, but it's always one that kind of shocks me because how do they get away with it? Now, Lynn is a friend of the sheriff's. He runs the concealed weapons classes in that area. This is Nash County, North Carolina. On Tuesday, March 12th, the body of Diana Keel was found about 30 miles away. This was found by a, a worker in the area. There wasn't a search going on for her. After she was found, the husband was taken in for questioning. He was questioned for a few hours at the sheriff's department, and then he was released. Now, they said he was cooperating. You would think at this point, I mean, they were open that he was a person of interest. So you would think at this point that they were watching him. However, they issued an arrest warrant earlier this weekend for him and he's nowhere to be found he is gone in the wind rexford lynn keel is wanted for the murder of his wife diana keel we have a poster we are sharing the poster of him we're getting his face out there he can be anywhere anywhere because he had so much notice and the means to just 
to just go. Now, I know a lot of people are thinking that he um, took his own life and he just hasn't been found. I personally don't believe that. I feel like if he was going to take that route, he would have no reason to hide his own body. He probably would have just done it in his home or his mother's home or wherever he was staying. Now, thankfully, his 10-year-old son, who is the son that he had with Diana, is okay. Um, And as far as we know, is not missing. Last I heard, he was staying with the grandmother. So this is the case of Diana Keel, and we're going to have a lot more on this case when Nikki feels better and she could talk. She is so invested in this case. She has so much information, and I was so excited for you guys to hear it all. But alas, we will make a special episode for Diana. Um, We have a group on this case. Like always, join our Facebook group, The Vault, or follow our Crime Connect Facebook page, and all the links to the groups are there. You could also search Diana Keel in the Facebook group section, and all of our groups are marked by Crime Connect, so you know exactly which ones are ours. We have a lot of information in there, a lot more to go into, and I hope we could cover this case again soon. Okay, we have some exciting stuff coming up this week. First of all, Monday is our very own Crime Connect admin Nikki's birthday. Happy birthday, Nikki. We love you. Everybody, make sure you bug the shit out of her on Monday. That's your birthday present for me. We also have the trial of Bo Duke starting on Monday. Now, we do not have a group for this, and I don't even think we're discussing it in the vault, but I am posting it on the Crime Connect Facebook page. If you guys aren't familiar with the Tara Grinstead case, get familiar. Now is your opportunity because we're going to have two trials about this case. And there's tons of different episodes on Discovery ID. There's podcasts. Message me. I will send you what you need to catch up. Now, Bo Duke is charged with attempting to conceal a death and hindering apprehension and tampering in this case. He's not charged with the murder. He's basically an accomplice. However... A lot of people believe that he is the real murderer and he's not the accomplice. The other defendant in this case, Ryan Duke, no relation, their last names are slightly different. Ryan Duke is going on trial April 1st for murder. A lot of people believe that Ryan confessed because he was scared of Bo. And in fact, this is his own defense in this trial. He now has recanted his confession, says it was not him. And this, I mean, I haven't seen the evidence, so I'm really hoping that we hear a lot about this trial. It may be believable because just this year, 2019, Bo Duke, the supposed accomplice, was on the run after he kidnapped, raped, and sodomized two women He was eventually caught, but this has led to mass speculation that Bo Duke is not the accomplice in Tara's case, but the actual murderer. Now, just, I believe it was just yesterday, Ryan's defense has filed a new alibi, 
And they're saying that Ryan and his brother never left the house. And actually, Bo and a whole new person, a, a third person in this case, left the house. And I know all of this is extremely confusing. So go to the Crime Connect page. It's all there. I have tons of articles. I always hashtag Tara Grinstead in these so that they're easier to find. If you're interested, let me know. We'll definitely start a thread now that I think about it in the vault group that we have. Also this week, I am so freaking excited for the Hulu series, The Act, to start. Who else is super freaking excited about this? I am, I can't even contain myself. You guys don't even know. So the act is based on the Gypsy Rose Blanchard case, the case of Gypsy Rose, who was a victim of Munchausen by proxy. Her mother was controlling her, lying to her, forcing her to act like a paralyzed girl stuck in, you know, this body that didn't work that actually did work. She got like a new house. She got trips. She got all sorts of things for this medical issue that she had. Actually, like dozens of medical issues that she supposedly had. And it was all her mother lying, forcing her to do it, threatening her. I mean, at some points, tying her up to a bed. And the actresses in this series look phenomenal. I cannot wait to see how it plays out. I am not going to spoil what happened to Gypsy and her mother. For those of you who are not familiar to the case, tune in on Wednesday on Hulu. You're not going to want to miss out on this series, I promise you. And obviously, I'm not getting paid to advertise to any, for anybody. I am just really excited about this. On... March 22nd, that is Friday, we're going to have the first big criminal hearing with R. Kelly, and that, like I said earlier, will be televised. I am sure there's going to be dozens of Facebook live streams for all the local networks. They're going to be covering it. We're going to be covering it. You're not going to miss it. We also have the first appearance by Rachel McAfee, whose case I went over earlier in the episode. Her last first appearance was canceled, I believe, probably because she went into treatment. We'll see if this one happens as well. Before our next episode, we're also going to have the Jake Patterson arraignment. That's going to be on Wednesday, March 27th. That same day is the day we're going to have the motion to change venue hearing in the Molly Tibbetts case. So that's going to be a big day for us. The Jamie Claus group and the Molly Tibbetts groups are huge for us. If you're not in those groups, definitely join them. And that about wraps it up for now. Um, please go to our Crime Connect page and our Diana Keel page or our Diana Keel group. Share that wanted poster that we have of her husband, Lynn. We need to catch this guy. He is dangerous. He has killed one, possibly two other people. So we really want law enforcement to get him really quick. Thank you guys for joining our podcast.
podcast. I hope I wasn't too bad alone. The next time we'll have more hosts. You guys have a good night. If you enjoyed this, please join our Crime Connect Facebook page. From there, you could join our main group, The Vault. And we have so many different case-specific groups. They're all listed on the Crime Connect page. I would love for you to join us and follow us. See you there.